Welcome to the Sound Lifestyle Medicine Podcast, hosted by Dr. Mark Stefani and Dr. Jim Kozowitz. Doctors Mark and Jim are here to help navigate elements of your lifestyle that will lead to optimal health. Through deep dives into popular health topics, they will help you discover transformative insights tailored toward well-being and guide you toward a sound and healthy lifestyle. Welcome to the Sound Lifestyle Medicine Podcast. I'm Dr. Jim Kozowitz. And I'm Dr. Mark Stefani. Today we thought we'd talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, which is sleep. Hopefully a lot of people out there maybe made a New Year's resolution to sleep better this year. And the exciting thing is a lot has happened in the past few years to kind of raise the profile of sleep, which Mark and I kind of find funny because we like to watch markets and investments and stuff like that. And anytime there's something new and exciting, entrepreneurs will always rush in with new products to help you do whatever that thing is. You know, for instance, there's the eight sleep temperature adjusting mattress pad or the aura ring and all these things are meant to try to help you gauge how well you're sleeping. But to be honest, you you don't really need an expensive gadget to get better sleep today. And so while in a later episode, we'll dive into the more of the nuts and bolts of sleep, I think suffice to say, sleep being one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine, Mark and I both believe that it's fundamental to get good sleep in order to have good health. And the basics of good sleep don't require any big financial investments. You know, it's like saying you're going to start out learning how to cook and you're going to go drop some coin on, you know, a, a brand new set of Le Prusson. Is is that how you is that how you say that that line of of bakeware? You're the francophile in the in the group. So I, I is it's like uh, le, le, le? No, there's no I have no idea. I don't speak French. That's your job. <laughs> you were one with the fa- fancy kitchen downstairs. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right. You do not need to drop hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars on new gadgets to necessarily get better sleep. There's obviously a, a time and a place to to consider that if if the mattress, for example, is is becoming problematic. But just like so much of the so many of the lifestyle pillars, it doesn't take a lot of upfront investment to to get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you want to build that base, right? You don't want to just go from zero to a thousand, right? You got to start and to understand what really good sleep needs. And so one of the topics that we thought we'd introduce for stressing the importance of sleep is how sleep affects our immune function. It is that time of year again, and it's cold and flu season. People are getting sick and sleep has a big impact on our immune function. So Jim's going to walk through some of these studies that will highlight how sleep does uh, affect our immune function. Yeah, so just like a, a couple studies that that kind of stand out, one of them being Prather et al. They, they took 164 healthy men and women, middle-aged, so I guess earlier, actually younger, 18 to 55, and they measured their sleep quality for a, a week prior to exposing them to rhinovirus. Now, the rhinovirus is, a, is just the common cold, right? And so what they did was they quarantined people, monitored them for a week, and then basically shot the rhinovirus right up their nose. And so pretty good chance of getting sick, you would think, right? Well, it turns out that people who slept five hours or less a night in the preceding week caught a cold at about a 50% clip, whereas those that slept seven or more hours actually caught a cold only about 20% of the time. So it's a, it's a huge reduction. And when you're thinking about walking through the supermarket and people are coughing and you're getting exposed to these viruses constantly, why not try to sleep as well as you can to reduce that risk of you getting sick as well? So another 
interesting fact is not only does sleep help you prevent getting an infection, sleep actually helps you have a good immune response to a vaccination. So there's probably a lot of people out there that have gotten either an influenza vaccine or maybe the next wave of COVID vaccines. And there was a study in 2002 that demonstrated that if you were underslept in the time preceding that vaccination, so the weeks leading up to that vaccination, you actually had a 50% drop in your immune response. That means that 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 vaccination is going to be less effective if you're underslept prior to you getting that vaccination. You know, I'm getting I'm getting to the end. I'm getting to the end. So just bear with me, nerd alert over here. I get it. I get it. But we have to remember that it's not just like cold and flu that is important when it comes to our immune system, right? Our immune system is also part of how we stay cancer-free. And so there was a, a longitudinal study out of uh, England that followed about 10,000 cancer-free people that were older than 50 years old for a period of about eight years. And they found an association with poor sleep and an increased risk of getting cancer. Are we done? Yeah. Good Lord. We could talk about the other... Yeah, what do you want to talk about now? Let's talk about the practical information here with what our listeners can take home with them to implement this very day. So... We wanted to break it down into things that both promote sleep as well as hinder sleep. And we're going to start off with the things that can hinder sleep. And one that I have quite a bit of experience with actually is, is exercise. And while that is a, exercise has many health-promoting benefits, in fact, if you exercise too close to the time that you want to go to sleep, it'll affect your sleep quality because it increases your core body temperature, making the initiation of sleep much more difficult. So obviously this is by no means saying do not exercise, but if you can, you obviously, you want to get it away from the time that you're falling asleep. I remember times when I was biking and racing quite a bit and I'd have a long ride in the, in the late afternoon and my body, my engine was just still revving super high and it would take me an hour or two f- to calm down before I could fall asleep. I'd be lying in bed, but my body, my heart, my heart rate was way up and there's no way I was falling asleep. So it's important to to push that exercise further away from the time that you want to sleep. I've, I've, I've never had that problem, meaning that I've never exercised that close to bedtime. So I do exercise though. I try to do it by midday. That's usually my goal. So another... Let me add to that. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. I, we don't have it specifically stated here, but I find that when I do exercise, I sleep a heck of a lot better mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm tired. I'm, you know, I would do a four-hour ride in the morning and I w- would be just exhausted. I've never done anything for four hours in my life. I'm, I'm sure you have, Jim. I'm sure you've... Okay. I guess I've been awake. I breathe for four hours a day. There we go. Okay. We've typed notes on the computer for four hours. Uh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it helps promoting sleep because you're a heck of a lot more tired than had you not. Yeah. And it's it's actually even more complex than that. Like timing and the type of exercise can dictate different pieces of sleep that improve. And and so it, it's it's a very complex thing that maybe we can go into in a different a different day. But Another thing that we wanted to highlight is something that's near and dear to our hearts as physicians, which is caffeine. Going through residency, I 
can imagine the tanker trucks worth of coffee that I probably consumed. And in and of itself, coffee and tea is actually very healthy for you, right? There's lots of antioxidants. It's one of the highest concentrations of antioxidants in the, in the American diet. But with those antioxidants in the caffeine and tea comes caffeine. And so caffeine can have a detrimental effect on, on sleep initiation and cause fragmentation, meaning that the, the sleep, instead of going in its nice predictable pattern, will be kind of broken into pieces. And the, the important thing to remember is that when you take a swig of coffee, you drink that cup in the morning, it's going to take about five hours for half of the caffeine that you just consumed to go away, to be metabolized by your body. Meaning that in 10 hours, there's still going to be a quarter of that caffeine floating around in your body. You don't need to necessarily remember those numbers, but what we'd like to suggest is try to get all that, that coffee consumption in the first part of the day, you know, preferably an hour after you get up, but you know, before lunch, try to avoid being one of those people I see in the line of Starbucks around three or four in the afternoon. Cause that, that caffeine, even though you don't feel buzzed, it's still going to have an effect on your sleep. The next one is alcohol. And this is something that I've definitely felt as I've gotten older and alcohol can affect your sleep because it's not the, even though alcohol itself is a sedative, the metabolites, the aldehydes, the things that cause your hangover are stimulants. And as the body processes the alcohol, away, the sedating effect wears off, leaving only the stimulant aldehydes, leading to, again, more fragmentation and something that I have experienced now as I've gotten older, like even with a glass or two of wine, I wake up in the middle of the night, yeah. and undoubtedly, and it's, it's incredibly frustrating. And so that's something I've, I've personally experienced and can attest to. So alcohol also leads to decrease in the important REM component of sleep. And so it's it's recommended to have any alcohol prior to at least three hours before you're trying to go to bed. So have that that beer with breakfast, that's what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. Yep. That would be yeah. our recommendation. That's our that's our that's that will that is the cell lifestyle medicine stamp of approval. The next uh, topic we'd like to talk about are screens, the things that Mark and I are looking at right now. So remember that these screens come with all sorts of wavelengths of light. And the, the most important potent one with regards to being awake is blue light. This is in large abundance in natural sunlight. And the problem is, is that the screens that we look at today aren't that old, but our brains are many eons old, right? And so they don't understand, our brains don't understand that blue light is not the sun. And so when you are laying in bed, looking at your phone, your brain and, and more specifically, the, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. What? Which is, yeah, well, it's involved with the melatonin secretion, right? So melatonin, the thing that people buy at the, the pharmacy to help sleep. Why don't you say that one more time for the audience? The super Suprachiasmatic what? nucleus. That is yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's a band name right there. Yeah, I know, right? Well, they didn't ask me what it should be called, so we just have to live with it. So this blocks melatonin secretion. So we, think about when you're sitting there looking at your screen it's your brain is saying is this the sun am i is this is this day is what, what what is happening right now and so you're you're going to affect that natural melatonin secretion and that's going to have uh, an effect on the ability to, to initiate sleep so moving on from the suprachiasmatic nucleus good the other thing to consider are avoiding late naps because sleep pressure builds throughout the day what do you mean by sleep pressure jim well so i, I think people Sleep is such a weird thing, right? Because we literally don't experience it. 
right? We close our eyes and then we open our eyes and that time in between, we are not conscious. So we don't experience it. So we kind of have this imagination that sleep is kind of like a light switch, right? It just, it's on off. But the way sleep is actually initiated by it is as we're talking right now, it's early afternoon or almost probably, we're, that sleep pressure is already building. We can't really sense it, but our body is already moving towards sleep slowly. It's creeping up on us, right? Eventually that'll make us feel like, oh, I got to go to bed, but it, it is building as we speak. So our body is already in the process of initiating sleep. So what that means is if you nap, right? Think about it. It's like you're blowing up a balloon, right? Right. And then as you're blowing it up and, and you want that balloon to be full and then that you can go to sleep. You, if you take a long nap, you're letting some of that air out, right? You're letting it out. And, and so then the body again is going to say like, well, I mean, I kind of sleepy, but I had some sleep earlier. I'm not, am I supposed to go to bed now? I don't, I don't really understand what's happening. Yeah. And here I thought it was just you making me tired, but that makes sense. I'll take that as a compliment of my soothing voice. That's right. Why don't you cover the next one here? Late large meals. Oh yeah. So I, I think the best way to think of it is you want to give your whole body a rest, right? And so if you throw a bunch of food in your mouth right before you go to bed, your gut doesn't get to take a rest, right? It's going to be processing that food. And so we really try to recommend not eating for about two hours prior to bedtime and and to go to bed neither full nor hungry. You don't want to go to, to bed hungry either because it'll make it hard to fall asleep. But there there are ways that you can kind of help, you know, your, your body move that sleep time move up and down. And I don't know if you have any. Yeah. No, there's an interesting connection between carbs and, and falling asleep, the time at which you do. And so for some people who are falling asleep too early, you can have more carbs for dinner because the connection is believed to be related to carbs effects on cortisol levels. And so if you're falling asleep too early, eating more carbs at dinner will raise cortisol levels and in turn push back your sleep time. And they're inverse is true. So if you're falling asleep too late, eat more carbs during the day and have a more uh, protein-rich or fat-rich dinner. And that, that should help adjust those times for you. How about how about temperature-wise? Like how about, how about what should your room be like when you're trying to go to sleep? But presumably that you don't have small children like we do and you are left to, your, to do it on your own with nobody around. Ideally between 61 and 65 degrees. Is that and Fahrenheit or Celsius? That Hopefully Fahrenheit. Okay. Well, I, I just, you know, again, back to the Francophile. I just want to make sure we're not, we're okay. So we're talking Fahrenheit. We're talking Fahrenheit. Yes. And, and this is where, you know, a lot of the gadgets come in, like the eight sleep and, mm -hmm. and sleep number can adjust, adjust the temperature of the mattress and covers to, to get that dialed in for you. And for many of us, you know, during the wintertime, we got a window cracked, which helps lower that ambient temperature which in turn can help with sleep because ideally what you want is your core temperature to be lower mm -hmm. yeah. so that the, the, the blood flow shifts to your periphery. Mm -hmm. So if you're, if you're a person who has cold extremities like myself, as silly as it sounds, being able to keep those warm during the, the night would be ideal, like wearing socks, yep. because then it's less effort for your body to be able to perfuse the extremities and therefore shift that blood away from your core to your, to your extremities and therefore in turn helping with your sleep. All right. Shall we move on to what can help promote sleep? 
Yeah, I think that's that's a it's a good idea. We've we've talked about all the stuff you shouldn't do, the no's. Let's talk about the yeses. Absolutely. Start us off. Well, as I was saying before, our our brain and our ability to sleep is greatly influenced by the light that's hitting the back of our retinas, right? And that that's eyeball for you. I just want to make sure you're understanding me, Mark. That is that the retina is thank you. Okay, thank you for right. clarifying. So, so just like you don't want to be looking at screens at night because it confuses your brain thinking it's daylight, you actually want to try to anchor your body during the day, right? So if you just move about in fluorescent lighting, go from your car to your office and it's low light fluorescent lighting, your body doesn't really understand that it's daylight either because it's not, those lights aren't as strong as sunlight, right? When it comes to the wavelength of the light. And so the the best way to anchor and tell your body, hey, it's daytime, is to go outside and actually get sunlight in your eyes. Now, it's difficult here in Minnesota in January. The sun is out about one out of every 20 days. Just It's just enough to make us want to be alive at some points when it's cold and dark. But if you can go outside and get some light in your eyes, it'll help entrain, the, hey, it's daytime, time to be awake, and then resets your clock. Do you recommend people use a a light during the day? What are they called? The, you mean the seasonal, the the sad lights? Yeah, exactly. The seasonal affective disorder. Affective disorder. Wow. We're all suffering from right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there's reasonable data on those that it can help. I mean, for some people, it does prove to be very useful to have those lights on and just kind of shining in your face, just like, you know. I guess like an interrogation room. I, I'm not really sure what it. We we have a colleague at work. And yeah, he's not listening, but he uses it without question at work. But he happens to be the grumpiest coworker we, we have. So I I don't think that out of one, well, you don't know what he'd be like without it. He could be even grumpier. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So experiment yourself. Yeah, to make you less more or less grumpy. Yeah. No, I, I don't. You know, there's there's no downside to it, right? Other than buying the device itself. No, exactly. A very intuitive one is learning to help r- relax and, and calm your mind prior to starting sleep. And, and, and it's very obvious that can help reduce cortisol levels and it can also help turn off your sympathetic nervous system. And what that does is obviously increase your heart rate and that fight or flight response. So the more that you can try to relax prior to uh, sleeping, the better off you will be. And, and not being able to relax comes in a variety of forms to to consider. You know, is that a show that you're watching? Is that a book that you're reading? Is that an inter- interaction that you're having with your partner or your, or your children? Are you thinking about work? All those things are are elements to consider when trying to promote relaxation prior to sleep. You no, know, I think that's that's a a really a good point. A lot of people just want it to be like, I'm going to watch TV till the very last second, and then I'm going to go into bed and fall asleep. But that's not really the way it it works i think like matthew walker and his his great book why we sleep he you know it's it's like i said before it's not like a light switch right like sleeping is he 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 kind of compares it to landing a plane like it's a process like you have to kind of come down softly and slowly for the landing and yeah, sleep much it's, like our economy right right yes of course exactly no there there will be no hard landing <laughs> it will only be soft so those 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 things that you can do those practices to kind of help ease yourself into to sleep will will help greatly. 
Yeah. Make sure your kids are aware that you need to relax before going to sleep because I'm sure they will oblige just like ours. Yeah. I, always. I just say, daddy needs to relax and like a dutiful son, <laughs> daddy will just go downstairs and leave me alone. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. All right. The last one here that we're, well, second to last that we touched on earlier, and that's uh, the ambient temperatures being around that 61 to 65 degree range. I sure as heck notice that when it's when it's hotter in the room, like it takes me forever yeah. to try to fall asleep. comfortable. Yeah. So, and then also making it dark. And this is an obvious one, being as dark as it is possible. Uh, yeah. Ideal. Which again, here in Minnesota, this time of year, not difficult for it to be dark. However, in the summer, we have very long days. And so that can actually make it difficult because the sun tends to come up very early and not go down till about 10 p.m. So it's it it's more important for us here, especially in the summer. We have a lot of ambient city light in our yeah. house and my wife uses yep. a face mask. And it was a night and day change for her in her sleep. Yeah. It was a $8 item on Amazon. Right. And I was going to say, even there are so many companies out there making blackout curtains that you can get customized to your, your window size that are not that expensive. It's not, it's not that hard to do that anymore. All right. And the last one here, Jim, you have mentioned scheduling mm -hmm. your sleep. What do you mean by that? Well, just like we have an alarm and we set it to get up in the morning, uh, most of us, especially me going into this next week where we have to actually work during the day, set an alarm. I don't naturally get up at six in the morning. We should do the same thing when it comes to sleep. We we actually should probably set an alarm because there was just a recent study that came out that, that said you're better off getting six hours of sleep on a regular schedule than you are getting eight hours of sleep haphazardly. It's it's more health promoting to have it be a regular time. And it it, it makes sense, right? Our body isn't like, again, we, we're these creatures that used to wake up when the sun came up and went to sleep when the sun went down, right? And now we live in a society where there is not necessarily a night and day. You can go 24-7, and we do. When we work in the hospital, we have to go 24-7. And so our bodies still, we're not really evolved to handle that very well. So we still really want to go to bed at the same time and wake up at the same time, and that's going to be the most health-promoting sleep we can get. Yeah, as we close out here, I think one thing to consider and in, in continue to emphasize, as we always do, is that it's trying to move the needle with these pillars of lifestyle medicine. You know, just when you commented on the consistency of getting six hours of sleep, like our lives are not going to accommodate that with young kids and the schedule that we work as as physicians. It's so hard to do that, but it doesn't mean that we don't try to prioritize better sleep. Mm -hmm. Just even trying to move that needle to aim that vector of improvement is beneficial for you. And as we mentioned previously, that accounts for numerous health benefits of better sleep, not not only immune function, but reduction in cancer rate, reduction in, in rates of mental health conditions, mm -hmm. and myriad others. And so we will be covering sleep a lot because like Jim said, it's a it's a hot topic. There's a lot involved. It's one of those things that almost seems more challenging than implementing nutrition and, and exercise program into your life is really getting sleep dialed in in one's life. It is hard. And that's why we're here to try to help. Absolutely. But always remember, everybody's got to sleep, right? So it's not like I I think 
people just need to appreciate the importance and start prioritizing it. And yeah, we, we're going to give you all sorts of little adjustments that you can make. It's again, not being perfect and rigid about everything, right? It's moving in the direction of health. And so we, we hope to be able to bring you more topics and more hints on how to do that. So we are getting closer and closer to our base camp course that'll be launched here in probably four to six weeks. And prior to that, we'll be having a live launch discussing various lifestyle medicine topics and sets the stage for the release of our base camp. So please stay tuned for announcements on that on social media, as well as our website. And we can't wait to chat with you again next week on our next episode. Thank you so much for joining us on Sound Lifestyle Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sound Lifestyle Medicine podcast. For more insights and practical tips, subscribe and catch us on the next episode. Until then, here's a few things you can do right now to get started. Download our free Six Pillars of Lifestyle Medicine Guide to begin optimizing your health today or book a free 30-minute informational call with us to learn more about how sound can give you the tools for a healthier you. Lastly, discover your clear and personalized roadmap to optimal health through enrolling our Better You Basecamp course. You can grab the links to all these and more in each episode's show notes. So here's to a sound, healthier you, and we'll see you next time.